Hello and welcome to another Ulster Rugby Roundup. I'm Gareth Hanna. With me are our usual rugby enthusiast panel of Adam McKendrick. Hello. And Jonathan Bradley. Hello. Well, the season's here. It's happened. Normal service can resume. Your weekly routines are back in place. And obviously the best part of that is here. The Ulster Rugby Roundup. We should like bring in uh, effective cheers rather than just me doing that. Yeah, it sounds a lot better. Can we drop a cheer I'll, in there? I'll, I'll try, but we need a, a, lo- a royalty-free uh, cheer. I am enthusiastic. I'm looking forward to, hey. to rugby being back. You here. said that in like, the most monotonous tone ever. Yeah, I know, but that's just the way I talk. <laughs> Thanks for, uh, for <laughs> cheers. Um, no, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. I watched an awful lot of rugby at the weekend and it just really brought home the fact that I'd be able to do this for every weekend for a number of uh, months to come. So that was exciting for me. What a time to be alive. Exactly. Well, one game last weekend that you probably didn't see as much of as you would have liked to <laughs> is the Ulster speaking, game. Speaking of watching a lot of rugby at the weekend, yeah. Irony of it all. Yes, they a 31-14 defeat to Wasps last weekend. As to what happened other than that, your guess is as good as ours, but here we go, we'll try and, uh, we'll try and discuss it a little bit. There were highlights up, which was more than I was expecting to see. Um, so, first of all, we can deal with the positives. Ulster's tries were scored by Nick Timothy of Banbridge and Angus Kernahan. Uh, well worked tries they were as well. I was really impressed with Kernahan's try. You know, for a young guy... He did really. Yeah. I, I don't know who who was opposing him, but he did really well to step behind them all, bring the guy back uh, onto the open side, and then he used his pace just to get back around the blind side, and there was no way that he was going to stop him. So for a young guy, I was really impressed with how he did that. But in terms of the performance overall, again we said we said this last week, never put too much stock into preseason because you've got to keep in mind the difference between the two teams. Wasps had a Lion, another five England internationals, and another five internationals in their lineup, and no academy players. Three of the internationals are current internationals, whereas Ulster had seven players who have played for Ireland, none of whom went on the most recent tour, uh, and Marcel Kutzia, and six academy players. There's a huge dearth in quality between those two teams. So you've got to bear that in mind. And whenever Nathan Hughes is in that kind of form, like <laughs> he's basically unplayable. He was fantastic by all accounts. You talk about just on Angus Kerner in there. I mean, I thought, especially on second view in, in the Gloucester game, that he was very impressive in that game. And you look at the back three options that are in the actual academy, and we haven't seen any of them yet. Mm-hmm. So... He's sort of still in a jump, it would seem, at a time when obviously back three options are still on the ground. So to back that positive performance against uh, Gloucester up with a try um, on Friday night was probably a big thing for him. The obvious big thing was Marcel Cotsia coming through um, half an hour, by all accounts, unscathed. Um, in Duane, speaking to Dwayne Peel afterwards, he had said that uh, it had always been the plan to bring him off after that time it wasn't necessarily the plan for him to go off having got a yellow card <laughs> yeah. but uh, at least he's up for it I suppose <laughs> and um, what, what was the feedback then on his performance well it looked like he was getting involved in the carrying game it sounded like he was getting involved in the carrying game there's going to be an awful lot of rust to shake off when you're talking about someone who's played yeah. five games since April 2016 um, <laughs> but We've spoken about it time, 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 and time again. 
he's so important for Ulster to have on the on the pitch. So, not that you're gonna just uh, discount the results completely, but when you look at the results elsewhere this preseason, English teams, as Adam points out, use preseason in a completely different way to Pro 14 teams, and you've seen Leinster ship a big defeat to English opposition, Ulster shipped a big defeat, Munster could beat there by Exeter at the weekend, and Scarlets, who it's sort of bigged up the team selection that they were able to put out for their friend mm-hmm. against Bath, got a worse hammer, and then <laughs> Ulster got the Bath, I mean mm-hmm. they shipped seven tries in that game, mm-hmm. so Pro 14 teams use pre-season in a completely different way, because they don't launch into the season, they kind mm-hmm. of crawl into the season rather and um, yeah just Marcel could see it coming through it was the big the big story before the game and it was always going to be the big thing through the game if he's able to go again this week mm-hmm. uh, the, even then the I know you're saying it's not a big concern but the five tries that Ulster conceded they didn't really look great judging by the highlights the, the well, defensive work like, you don't want to di- you don't want to discount anything because we spoke last week about how it seemed like Ulster discounted their defensive problems in pre-season last year and then they maintained so to ship five tries is a huge disappointment given how much better and more aggressive they looked in defence um, the week before against Gloucester even though they shipped the same amount of tries in that game but it's obviously very hard to analyse without having uh, seen <laughs> yeah. the thing because you know they shit, that's what we're saying they conceded tries against Gloucester but overall the defensive performance was still encouraging um, I don't think yeah. there was the same positivity coming from them regarding their defensive performance on Friday as there was the week before but again it's an awful lot of new combinations and mm-hmm. a new system so you obviously want to be uh, monitoring that in the early games, but personally, just from talking to talking to people um, who've been involved in the preseason, I don't think there's the same systemic concerns defensively mm. as there was this time last year. Yeah, and uh, like last time at Liverpool beat Barcelona like five one or something ridiculous, and still they don't win anything. So preseason in all sports means absolutely more nothing. football analogies <laughs> in a rugby podcast. Absolutely, the, that's, uh, that's what I'm here to bring. The year that Spurs lost like six of their first eight games, uh, they beat Roma five 0 in preseason the week before. And so, then uh, two points from the first day. We're just encouraging the Ulster players here. Yeah, so what we're saying um, is two preseason losses means we're on for two trophies this year. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what we can oh, take from can't, this. Can't wait. <laughs> Good predictions then uh, from the Ulster rugby roundup. That may be another one of them, but there were a couple last week when you guys picked your breakthrough players of the season who have now semi officially broken through. Yeah, we uh, picked our two academy players to watch, and there were academy players. For six days. Uh, six days after that, <laughs> before uh, Angus Curtis and Tom O'Toole had given development contracts. Look, they're two of the more promising members of what is said to be a very promising batch of academy players. They've already come into the senior team, so we've already seen glimpses of what they can do in an environment that should still be ahead of where they are in terms of their development. So it's a good piece of the business. and. We've said it before, but the next 
trophy winning Ulster team isn't going to be with the guys that are probably isn't going to be with the guys that are currently in their thirties. It's going to be with the guys. Probably, that are probably in their early 20s. just to <laughs> just in <laughs> case. Yeah. Can't be you just right. <laughs> um, well, anyway, more importantly, then on the Scarlets at home Saturday afternoon kickoff five fifteen p.m. This is the big one. This is the start. How it, it well, obviously it's uh, Scarlets. It's not going to be easy, but what a what do we reckon? Well. I reckon they could have wanted a, an easier start, an easier way to ease them in. Um, Scarlet's games at Kingspan Stadium over the last few years have been really tight affairs. And that, that's not really what you want to start the season. You want a game where um, you can sort of ease your way in, but at the same time it's going to be a really good test to see where Ulster are um, sort of to start the year. Because the Scarlet's announced this morning that they've got 14 players out, you've got uh, Halfpennies out um, I put up a tweet and now I've forgotten who uh, <laughs> who they all Cassian's are Cassian's out, Johnny McNichols out um, Samson Lee Samson Lee, Jake so Ball a fair amount of the boys that we uh, pointed to as look who Scarlet's are able to deploy in pre-season are now injured so, <laughs> um, maybe, maybe that's backfired there so yeah. Yeah, it's like it's going to be an understrength Scarlet's team. It's going to be an understrength um, Ulster team. Scarlet, I mean, Scarlet's are going to have Jonathan Davis back. He's going to be a huge player for them this season. I mean, you're talking about somebody who was Lions man of the series against the All Blacks just a little bit over a year ago. So having him fit, um, James Davis is going to be fit, we think, for, uh, for this week, which is a huge thing for them in the absence of... Uh, John Barkley and Tag Byrne at the breakdown. We spoke about the loss of them for Scarlets last week, so it would have been a big blow to have lost two big presences in the breakdown to other teams. So that if they were to have lost James Davis for injury to this game, it would have been really depleted their their resources there. Um, the thing is, now you can sort of isolate James Davies at the breakdown though, because you don't have that sort of three headed beast that is Byrne Barkley and. Davies, Davies I mean, is the only turnover specialist now in that Scarlet side. As long as you isolate him, you really negate what the Scarlets have tried to do over the last few years. They really put a big focus on picking and choosing their battles at the breakdown. So as long as Davies is kept a check of and you don't let him get in and jackal like he's so good at, you can negate a lot of what they do defensively. Uh, and I think that's very important, especially with Cassium out, because that's a huge loss to their ball carrying as well. So Davies has to then pick up a little bit of the slack there too. Yeah, and like I think so much of the focus on what Scarlets do was from those guys was what they were doing without the ball last year because Byrne was making the sort of headline grabbing turnovers every game, like streaked ahead in the, in the turnover charts the whole way through the season. But it's the quick ball as well that they get for that back line because if you give that back line quick ball, then they're just going to be so dangerous. Mm-hmm. And not having that, as you said, a three-headed monster at the breakdown, it could very well make them a different team to play against. But look, I still think they're going to be good this year. Mm-hmm. I don't think they're going to be as good as they were last year when they probably had a better season than they're given credit for because in both competitions they just ran into Leinster. Mm-hmm. Ulster know what the, what that's like when you, you have a good team but come up against Leinster at the wrong time, you know. So it's 
as you say, it's an interesting start because last year with the Cheetahs and it was, you know, all started the game wrapped up. It was the same the year before with the uh, Dragons game. So we are going to see, we're going to see a real contest first game of the season, which is what you want. And but it, looking at it as part of a wider picture, when you've got Scarlets, Edinburgh, a trip to South Africa, two derbies, and then into Europe, like you've got five tough games. Like I know Connors record in Belfast is terrible, but you've got five tough games really out of your first six. Um, looking at it, saying that they should definitely beat the Kings, and then the other five could all go anyway really so you've got potential if you do well to have a really sort of confidence boosting start and then there's potential to lose a number of your first six games and from the injuries that we've done over the summer and to be honest from the interviews that we've done over the last couple of summers there is that acceptance that Ulster our team will leave themselves behind the eight ball too often and we saw it last year we've seen it in past years where they're in a position where they have to win four of the last five games five of the last six games to get into where they need to be and that is the product of losing too many games earlier in the season well the strange, the strange thing is Ulster for the last couple of seasons have got off to a good start Yeah, they were unbeaten up to Connacht a couple of years ago they were unbeaten um, I think up until Europe last year and then, no, Zebra, uh, Zebra beat them. Sorry, Zebra um, beat them. So, Ulster do like not like to get off to a good start. All teams love to get off uh, to get off to a good start. But Ulster tend to sort of burst out of the blocks a little bit better than everyone else. And I, I don't know why that is. Maybe it's just how they approach preseason or something like that. It's more just keeping that consistency going. And that's one of the big things. Maybe there's an argument for um, just trying to bottle what they've done for the start of the last few seasons and just manage to spread that out throughout the season because I feel like Ulster haven't struggled to get off to good starts it's just somewhere in the middle they lose their way and then they get into that point where they're behind the eight ball well last season they fell away without their internationals because they were terrible in November and terrible in uh, the Six Nations Um, so you need to be in a position where you have other people driving the standard. I think Kutsia will be a big part of that. And then you've got relatively experienced guys coming in in the shape of Billy Burns and Will Addison. And then I think there's a possibility that part of the problem is that the guys that you have who were sort of driving the standards in the absence of the internationals would have been guys like Rob Herring and um, who then became involved in the Ireland mm-hmm. setup, so then are absent as well throughout those weeks so, so yeah somebody you're right has to step up and maintain that because consistency is a mindset more than anything else mm-hmm. What about uh, the Ulster team then on Saturday what can we expect well, I mean you know you're not going to see Rory Best um from the interview that we had with Rory Best a while ago, I'd be surprised if you see him before the Interpros. Ian Henderson might go to South Africa. He's someone he always likes. He's always itching to get playing because you know mm-hmm. he's still twenty six, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, Stockdale's yeah, Ian Henderson. I still think it's bonkers. Like every sort of few weeks you hear of a sports person you're older than and go like, what? 
I'm older than them. It's, mm-hmm. it's just it never ceases well, to I be bizarre. I'm, I think I'm older than everyone apart from like KV Best and Chris <laughs> Henry now. So just all, all those retirements at the end of last season really hit me hard more than anything else. Yeah, I can't <laughs> believe I'm older than Ian Henderson. My word. He's been in Alliance Tour one day World Cup. What have I done? What have I done, John? <laughs> you started a podcast. <laughs> it's, been, it's been a great achievement. Anyway, go on before I get more depressed. What, what I'm interested to see in is, and I spoke about this last week, how they manage Katsia. Because he's got through half an hour last week, but that's in a pre-season friendly. And he got a little bit of a reprieve because he ended up getting himself yellow carded. Do you start him this week? and try to push it a little bit more? Do you bring him off the bench because it's now a competitive game, try to unleash him late in the game? That's going to be an interesting one because you really you really want him there from the start. But as I said, I think this is more of a long-term uh, plan for Ulster. You have to look at it as you need to manage him and get him back properly. So that that's an interesting one for me. Um, and certainly in the centres, I know Stuart Murray started two preseason games. You have to have Cave in there for his defence, because throwing Murray in against uh, Jonathan Davis and Kieran Fanadia is uh, is a recipe for disaster. Just with his inexperience, sneaky injury. Um, which we haven't been told about yet, but I believe that we'll be told about later too. Stuart Murray thinks injured. Oh, oh okay. Um, there we go. I'm gonna say Shulk, John Andrew. Marty Moore, Alan O'Connor, Treadwell, Reedy, Katsia, Timoney, Cooney, Burns, Spate, Gilly, Cave, McCluskey and Allison. You're just going to put this to Dan in the press conference. <laughs> Dan, I've got a, well, got a proposition for you. I'm going to speak to Dan for the first time this afternoon and be like, don't worry about a big man. I've got this covered. <laughs> see, see, he listened to the podcast last week, exactly. and we we said that our breakthrough players were going to be Angus Curtis and uh, and Tom O'Toole, and he gave them senior yeah, contracts. And already got contracts. The only conclusion that can team, draw so is he's cut, came in, and uh, started listening to podcasts. Yeah, if that team so he's clearly just going to take your team. Wow. Yeah. No, I I'd love to see Tom O'Toole start. I think just after yeah. the finish to last season and how he played in that pre-season game against Gloucester, I think he would be better off from the start with Mark coming on off the bench. Um, and I'm still not 100% sure what Schalk van der Merwe adds over Andy Warwick. But, <laughs> that uh, uh, well, one-arm tackle is uh, the highlight of my season so far. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. So, hauling, hauling backs by, by the collar as they make a Lambert. Top stuff. As we've already given away, we're actually recording this before the press conference this week in a break with tradition because Ulster held the press conference too late and we have all got lives to live, guys. Pre- so press conferences at dinner time <laughs> before this season's out. Ridiculous just idea. <laughs> so let's just pretend we haven't heard that and we'll try and just ease this in seamlessly so you don't even notice. So yes, we're now here at Kingspan Stadium after Dan McFarlane's first press briefing as New Ulster head coach and we're going to let you listen to a little bit of what he had to say to us. I knew from speaking to the people on the phone before I got here that I was going to be welcomed. Uh, I have been. It's been a pleasure spending the time and meeting the people here so you know, there. Uh, everybody's been pretty excited about having me here. I don't, uh, I don't really, really know whether I deserve that or not. But uh, that's that's brilliant. Um, I think I've been I've been lucky enough in in my career, both as a as a player 
um, and as a coach to be exposed to lots of different styles of rugby. Um, I think it's uh, the the fact that, and I suppose I should start it with, yeah, ultimately my, my desire is to play uh, a game with speed, um, you know, a collective speed where our, our team can uh, uh, can work at a pace that uh, uh, that causes the opposition difficulties and outlasts the opposition. Um, and and why, why is that? Well, it's, you know, like all of us, we're, uh, we're, we're products to a large extent of our environments. Um, so in Scotland we did that, in, in Glasgow we did that, but even before that, um, with uh, with Pat in Connaught, that was the style of rugby we played there. The ball moved fast, the players had to move fast, um, and I was I always remember that uh, when I first died in Connaught, that wasn't the way we played. It was uh, it was bump and grind, um, and that that lasted for a long time until uh, um, Eric. Uh, who first I said, no, we're not going to play like that anymore. You know, that's that's not how I want to play. You know, if uh, if it's going to be tough every week, I want to be enjoying it. <laughs> my grandfather on my father's side um, uh, was from Belfast. He was he was born here and brought up here. Um, he, he studied at Queen's University and, uh, and and then then left afterwards to go and work in the UK. Um, I you know I uh, I have fond memories of him. He he played rugby. Um, and that's that's why my dad was interested in rugby, and why I started as a, as a young fella watching uh, watching in Sporting Ireland, Six Nations um, on on the BBC on Saturday afternoons like that. They're brilliant memories. Um, and watching watching Trevor Ringland is uh, is, is something that that, that that sticks in my mind. Um, unfortunately, I ended up as a prop, but uh, but, but there we go. Um, I remember I remember when I when when I rang my dad and. Uh, um, Told him that uh, you know I was going to be taking the job. He said uh, he said my granddad would be tickled pink. So Johnny, what did you think of what Mr. McFarland had to say? He spoke very well um, from a journalist's point of view. That it's plentiful in terms of lines, so you could turn into stories. So long may that uh, long may that continue. Um, he seems quite different, especially different to his immediate pre predecessor in, um, I suppose, his attitude. He does have that sort of point of difference. You know, it's been sort of well documented that he's studied classics at university mm -hmm. and uh, um, he's obviously, it sounds like he's from all of his travels, you know, playing from Richmond, playing from Stade Francais, being so long in Galway, that he's sort of taken a little bit of each of those places with him on his coaching journey and he spoke a lot about his influences in terms of uh, John Kingston who's familiar to Ulster fans from being in charge of uh, Harlequins last year whenever they played in the Champions Cup but um, in this part of the world was at Galwegians um, long before he was at Harlequins and began that the um, long association there that only ended in the summer so talking about that his formative years as a rugby player, the influence of Pat Lamb, the influence of Eric Elwood, the influence of Gregor Townsend, and the encouraging thing is these are all people whose either goal on the pitch or especially in coaching terms was to play a good brand of rugby, and that's what um, people want to see naturally. They want to be entertained, and it sounds like that's how he's going to set up his team to play because at the end of the day, 
that's what the players want, that's what the fans want, that's what we want to be talking about covering. Um, he gave the impression of being a very personable guy. Now, other former Ulster coaches have given the impression of being very personable guys, and you know, that doesn't always translate to the fact that you're going to be a good coach, but you can certainly see how the messages that he's giving across are something that you would buy into and something that you would want to listen to because he's a very engaging speaker and um, it's maybe not a big or maybe doesn't seem like a big deal but even when he was speaking I noticed he makes an awful lot of eye contact with people again not always the case when past coaches have been given press conferences and it's just it does draw you in and like to what he's saying and makes you sort of you're really processing it as he's speaking and then I think anyone that follows him on Twitter can see from his reading habits that he's quite cerebral, cerebral about the whole thing, looking at uh, ways to really maximise um, performance and maximise even his potential and you don't want to fall into the trap because I think that's happened before with Ulster where you're very impressed with an opening press conference and think that that's going to um, translate immediately onto the field but um, in terms of looking at it from just meeting the media which is obviously a fairly small part of his job really I don't think he could have done much better I think you just make an initial impression. You know? I think you're just being nice to him because he's a Green Bay Packers fan. Well, the fact that he's a Packers fan <laughs> gets him at least two months grace for starters. <laughs> like, I was impressed at how he, he didn't pull any punches. You know, he wasn't coming in and saying, "I'm going to turn this team into a trophy-winning team." He did say he wanted to, obviously, but he he said silverware isn't the be-all and end-all. There's a lot more to the team than just silverware. Yeah. This is a community team. Um, it means a lot to the people of Ulster that uh, the local guys are playing for the team. And I think that's very important. You know, he, he really sort of demonstrated an understanding of what this team means to the fans. He He's well aware of the disconnect there has been and he's going to be doing a lot to resolve it. So he's certainly saying the right things. And you're right, it's, it's like looking at pre-season, saying this team's going to win the league. You, you can't do that. It's just pre-season um, in the same way that you can't look at one press conference and say he's going to be the saviour to all, all of Ulster's problems. You hope he will be. And um, I, I certainly think he comes with the pedigree. And he's, as I said, he's saying the right things that make it sound like he's going to be. Um, but from a from a starting point, it's a very good place to start from and certainly he comes with the recommendations of Gregor Townsend and Pat Lamb and Eric Elwood so uh, obviously he's going to be doing something right uh, to get there but uh, certainly he's very eloquent, uh, he knows what he's talking about and he certainly admits that he's got a job on his hands but he's not going to shy away from it and once he's done all his initial assessments and he works out where the squad are he, he's going to push it forward. I mean, one of the things that uh, stuck out to me was he's not looking for an immediate change. He's not going to come in and say, right, we're going to scrap this, we're going to do this. He's going to sort of drip feed new things into the squad. Um, and I think that's really good because it's not, you know, trying to overhaul everything after, you know, going through pre-season doing another. We, uh, he's going to try and, you know, slowly ease it in so there's not 
too much of a drastic change all at once. But uh, I think it was a very impressive start from him in terms of speaking to us as the media. I mean, if you look at it, a lot of the key points that he sort of tried to address, there was a real understanding of what this team means to the community here and the wider importance of an Ulster team that people can be proud of and want to be associated with. And especially for people, for someone who made his first forays into the pro game with Richmond, who were essentially a super team, really, and spoken to Simon Mason at length about what it was like playing for Richmond and how there wasn't that same importance placed on it because you could walk through the town and you wouldn't get any feel that you know they were playing Harlequins that afternoon or whatever and so to have that appreciation that it's different here and the importance that um, I think this organisation holds in a wider sense um, so he, he hit on that the patience that's required, but also the confidence that he seems to have in the structures and being able to bear fruit because he can remember very competitive Ulster teams. He's been here as a coach and with Connacht, he's came here as a player and he's seen good teams from Ulster and bad teams from Ulster, but trying to get to the I suppose the core of what the difference between those teams is, because it's not just talent, um, seemed to be a key message of his. And he said, like he seems like a, um, again, purely from a copy point of view, he seems like a very interesting person. And if you're listening to this now, well, I'd have read the profile that's in the paper. You can go and do that now, hopefully. It should be online. If it's not, it'll be Gareth's fault. But, um, yeah, a very, I suppose, encouraging start to what's uh, going to be a very small aspect of, mm. uh, of his job. I think it's safe to say if the main aspect of his job is as successful as his uh, first media briefing, Ulster will be in safe hands for the next few years. But uh, we also spoke to Henry Spate, Ulster's new winger, uh, brought in from the Brumbies on a short-term deal. Here's what he had to say to us earlier today. No, I've always looked for... For an experience, uh, I've been Super Rugby, uh, over 100 games at the Brums in over eight seasons. So, Christian had an awesome time here and he had nothing bad to say about the club. Uh, everything I asked about him was, was uh, met with uh, very positive answers. So, uh, it was a bit of a no brainer uh, when Arsenal came knocking. The, obviously, there's a few injuries to our, our back three and um, and just yeah, hopefully I can come in and contribute uh, uh, to the team as much as I can. So Johnny, I mean he's only here uh, until just after Christmas, but it certainly sounds like Spiat wants to do something very similar to old old friend Christian Leilefano and leave a bit of an impact here. Yeah, I don't think it surprised anybody that um, one of the first things that he mentioned is obviously Christian Leilefano and the role that. Um, Christian had and sort of selling Ulster to him as a a place where it would be good to come for such a short amount of time, worthwhile to spend, I suppose what's essentially your summer holidays, um, coming here to play rugby in the in the wet and cold. So um especially just with the injury situation, I think it'll be uh, um, a good addition and 
something that I've spoken about in the paper, I don't know whether we got to in the podcast, it's just the fact that he does have that sort of X factor that you've lost an awful lot of with um, without Charles Vietai. Like I know obviously Jacob stocked up the back um, before too long, but just he does sort of bring that excitement and uh, just a bit of unpredictability to the back three as well. Um, but again, it is going to be interesting because it's one of those where by the time he settles and is playing his best rugby, it's almost time to go home again, you know. But um, certainly somebody that I'm looking forward to seeing on Saturday. Well, with that, we will hand you back to Gareth in the past uh, and we'll continue with the rest of the podcast. Yeah, we should get that like Saved by the Bell sort of transition music so that people know we're, uh, we're going back to you. Mm, one of those flashback moments. Yeah, it's, it's another yeah. one for Gareth to work on in the editing studio. So, over to you, Gareth. Thanks, Adam. Welcome back in time to before the press conference even began. We're going to have a little look ahead to the season then. Um, we have touched on it the last couple of weeks as to how you think Ulster will get on. But let's just firm things up here. Let's get down concrete predictions that we can all laugh at at the end of the season when you've been horribly wrong. So, how do we reckon? Well, a little plug for today. Tuesday, Tuesday's paper, um, whenever John caught up with Chris Henry, Rory Best, Luke Marshall, Luke Marshall, and uh, Bryn Cunningham, and they sort of said how they thought we were going to get on, which was a rather interesting piece, you can look at that on the Belfast Telegraph website, a great website it is too, and don't message me giving off about the ads on it by the way, because we know, we understand that there is an issue with ads at the moment and it's being sorted, so just to get that out there. We're anyway, still, uh, our website's still a bit less ads than... Certain other publications. Sorry, certain other publications <laughs> cover recent. Yes, it does. But apparently it's been very bad the past few days. But it has been sorted out, so hope springs eternal. Luke Marshall, anyway, said... I'm just going to give it away now, so I don't even have to read it. But he said that he thinks Ulster can win a trophy. Chris Henry and Rui Best sort of said, um, try and make the playoffs. So what do you guys think? Is Luke in Cloud Cuckoo Land here? Or? I, think, like, I think if you look at his full quote, which... You can do in the story. I, I, read, I, <laughs> I read the first line and um, sort of, that was a bit it, really. Yeah, like if you look at the full quote, I think he said that he thinks Ulster can surprise people. And yeah. if you're looking at it from the outside and you see Tommy Bow, a two time lion, Andrew Trimble, 70 caps for Ireland, Piatai, 20 odd caps for the All Blacks, and they've all left, mm-hmm. then you're probably thinking that. Um, Ulster aren't going to be what they were last year, even mm-hmm. in what was a dying year. But he thinks the talent's there to surprise people, and that obviously the aim is still to uh, to win a trophy. Yeah, he did. He did say he thinks they're capable of it too, yeah, which yeah. I like. I mean, you don't want players coming out and saying they're not. I, I, I like that. I prefer players to be realistic. I don't know. I I like whenever sports people have this mentality of. We want to win, regardless of whether it's that realistic or not. I mean, you're going to give off and have another football analogy that I might have used in the podcast before, but Oren Kearney, co-reign manager two seasons ago, I remember interviewing him after they were the big carrick. It was like October time, he says. I said, well, what do you think you can get Europe? Thinking like two percent of Europe would be a great finish for them. He said, what do you mean one in the league? And I say, this case crazy. <laughs> and then last year, they almost won the league because they've had that mentality for a couple of years that we're going to win the league here. Well, like people, like people would have thought that Pat Lamb was insane if he had said uh, that Connor were going to win the league in the summer before that they did it. So I don't have the same issue with that Adam has with players saying they think they can win trophies because I think you also have to recognise the discon- disconnect between what players will say and what players actually think. 
is, uh, is very real. So they're never going to come out and say, yeah, we're expecting a few dying years. But, uh, <laughs> if she's would also come out and buy seasons, they get something class. Maybe so. I'm just a journalist who'd like a good back page headline. <laughs> we don't think we can win anything. Well, <laughs> I think we can win trophies is always a good uh, good back page line rather than... But it's been said too many times. Well, yes. <laughs> uh, so, well, how do you guys, th- well, like, give us a, a solid prediction here then. I think they'll finish fourth in the conference, but we'll see enough signs from younger players that we're not uh, lamenting the fact that they finished fourth in the conference. Which, it, judging by Twitter, it is worth pointing out that the Pro 14 is split into two conferences, which some of you seem to have forgotten in the like two months since we were last in it. But uh, yeah, so because people were questioning what you meant about finishing third in the league, yeah. and it was very but you meant third in conference, really, obviously. <laughs> people were questioning because they wanted to know how I thought there were only two teams better than yeah. <laughs> better than Ulster. But no, I still think Leinster are the pick of the bunch. I think Edinburgh's upward trajectory will continue to the point where I think they might actually be the better of the two Scottish sides. Mm. Um, I don't see Ulster improving enough and Scarlets falling away enough for Ulster to leapfrog Scarlets into the playoffs. So I think I just see them finishing fourth. Mm. I, I feel like you've just read my notes off my <laughs> off my book here. Like it, for their effort, we're too far away for me to do that. <laughs> All can, of my points are always my own. <laughs> can we talk about Edinburgh's recruitment though? I completely forgot how good they are. They, they signed Schumann from the Bulls, Barclay from the Scarlets, Luke Hamilton from Leicester, Pergos from Glasgow, uh, Matt Scott from Gloucester, and Cecino from Newcastle. That's great recruitment. Yeah, I was doing my uh, panel, or team-by-team panel today for the weekend's paper, just while I had a bit of time in the office, and I was going through that where I was like, Edinburgh might genuinely be better than Glasgow now. Yeah. Because when whenever you think about Glasgow, how many guys they lose to Scotland, and the fact that apart from DTH van der Merwe, they haven't really signed anyone of note. You could easily see Edinburgh taking that big step up, and Glasgow just taking a little bit of a step down, and them switching places. I think Edinburgh just, whenever you look at the squad as a whole, just have more quality there. So we're going for both going for fourth in the conference then. Both going for fourth. I th- I think I think Benetton are going to make a real push. I think Ulster will finish above them in fourth, but I think Benetton are really in a good place to push on and try and make a challenge for that Champions Cup playoff spot. I love their signing of Dewalt Duvenage. I think that really shows that they're on the right trajectory mm-hmm. uh, in terms of where they want to be as a club. Yeah, like I've got him down as their uh, as their key man, mm. and just from what I was doing the previews today, and that, that's a big sign. And you know, they lost Marty Banks. He didn't really play that much for them in the end, anyway. Yeah. Um, who would have been their big signing this time last year, coming in from New Zealand? But the work that Kieran Carley's done year on year there has been really, really impressive. But it's just whether with the amount of money they have and the squad they have the obstacles that they have in the fixture list, the obstacles that they have during windows when they lose their internationals and then are essentially picking non-professional players, whether there's almost a glass ceiling there at the minute and that they may have hit that last year because they went on such a good run. You know, I think they won five five games in a row, five league games in a row at one point. And 
you just wonder if a good season for Benetton is actually just a replication of what they did last year. Did you just say Benetton? I did. What has happened to you? New season. I'm ready to go. My word, you've I'm let go so of everything, everything you ever believed and stood for. <laughs> I feel like you've kind of graduated <laughs> in <laughs> some ways. We're not going to talk about the Azuzi Kings, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> even I'm not going to go that far. <laughs> what about Europe then? Any chance of escaping the pool or give us a, a quick prediction? I'm going to say no. I yeah, think I, I look, looking at Rasa, I, I know it's only one game, but looking at Racing at the weekend against Toulon, I thought they were really impressive. Finn Russell ran that line brilliantly, and you just the pack is just so big. I, I just don't see how Ulster's pack can compete with theirs. Yeah, cannot wait for Racing against uh, Claremont on Sunday. I know. Um, it's going to be good. So it is on at the same time as the All Ireland final and the Spurs game, which is not ideal in any way, but. Uh, that's what Sky Plus is for. A great day for sport. <laughs> so not escaping the pole, no. No. I think you've got the Scarlets here better than them as well. So yeah. I can see them having a very similar season. Or sorry, if they were to have a very similar season in Europe as the one they had last year, where they give it a crack mm-hmm. um, for five games, then I think that would be considered a fairly decent... Yeah, positive. Um, you know, we've seen them have seasons in Europe where they've won two games, and we've seen them have seasons in Europe where they've won four games. And the net result the last couple of years <laughs> has been the same. They haven't yeah. been out of the pool. But I think if they were to win four games, that would be quite a big achievement, to be honest. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, listener questions, then. We have plenty of them. And, Johnny, you're very pleased with the standard of them this week. I, I, thought, so. well, I thought it was some great listener questions for topics of conversation well done everyone well yeah. done you're and doing thank us all you, very thank you to everyone for sending them to the new twitter yes, account as everybody. opposed to us as I asked because I was really pleased with that mm-hmm. so yeah if you have any listener questions during the week ahead of next week's podcast send them to our new twitter account at UR Roundup um, you can also give us a follow and hit the wee bell so you get a notification every time we send a tweet. Fantastic. I only do that for like two Twitter accounts. You know, I'm very selective. Is one so, of them ours? <laughs> absolutely not. <laughs> Just you two individually. They're not. It's, not. it's definitely not. Can't remember. It's uh, Northern Ireland. And, well, it was Rangers last week, but only for like a day whenever Kyle Lafferty was making his debut waiting for it because whenever he breathed, everyone loved it. So I had to do stories on it. Anyway, um, back to rugby. They will start off with Derry Gasman. All one word from Twitter. You want to give them a follow? We're just promoting everyone's Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> all our listeners. We're all big one happy family. He wants to know, will we get bored of watching and maybe getting beaten by the Scarlets by Christmas? I think there's a very real chance that we'll see some very different Scarlets teams throughout the uh, season, despite <laughs> the fact that uh, um, we're playing them four times before Christmas. Um, from their injuries, it certainly seems like we'll see a different team on Saturday. And the interesting thing about this pool in Europe is you could be out of it very quickly. Um, when you're playing somebody with the aspirations to go and win the tournament in the way that Racing are, it can almost be like um, like it was for Ulster the last time they were in the pool with Scarlets, where you blink and you're out of it. Because if you play Racing at home early and lose, then your next game's away. And if you lose that, in the way that Ulster did when they had too long and then went to Leicester and lost before they had the back-to-back with Scarlets. And you're out of it already and you may as well take a punt on Europe and uh, focus on the league. So there's always a chance that you see a different team, especially by round four in Europe. 
The one thing that I will be sick of is Scarlet's website because their fixture list starts at the end of the season down and the first fixture is the one at the bottom. I mean, that's... I'm what? so glad you said that because I had that exact same problem <laughs> That's the yesterday. actions of an absolute madman. Yeah, <laughs> creeps. Absolute creeps. <laughs> I'm not going to get sick of them. I love how the Scarlet's play. I just love their style of play. Um, so I'm not going to get sick of them. We're also a huge fan of William P. Buck's yeah. interviews. So that's After a plus. he uh, asked Adam if anyone had ever told him that he looked like Rag and Bone Man last year. <laughs> Fantastic. What a guy. Was he the one that started that? Yeah, he was. was yeah. I didn't know that. What a guy. Um, he'll be a wheels coach soon. <laughs> and he'll be really confused when he sees me if I have a beard. No, no so. doubt still taking <laughs> right on now. Adam's beard. <laughs> uh, we have a few from Derry Gasman. We're just going to rattle through loads of questions yeah. today. So uh, we will get to yours. Be patient. Uh, Mark Smith down there here's his down at the bottom we'll get to you um, uh, he asks who will emerge victorious Tommy or Trimby um, I spoke to Trimby this morning actually and uh, asked him about this and uh, he said that um, they're more teammates than rivals still because of the air sport and uh, primary sport connection I was going to say I should probably explain what this yeah, is about so it's not uh, it's not a case of them outdoing each other but then he did also say that him and Tommy have played in the same position for a long time and there's always that rivalry when you when you are teammates. So Oh, they're one hundred percent gonna be looking at the figures every well, they're, they're, doing, each other. they're doing different things and I think yeah. they'll both be good at it. Like Tommy is obviously presenting and is really gonna be front and centre of that um production and it sounds like we'll be doing I, I might be wrong in saying this, but I think he will also be doing the midweek show as well, mm-hmm. which will have um Murray Kinsella on it, so it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be excellent. I think we won't get to see it, but uh, it's gonna be excellent. Yeah, well, if they're looking people to take sides in this battle, just whichever one comes on the podcast first, I'm willing to fully back them. So <laughs> well, we do just... we do get to see it actually because you get our sport with your primary sports subscription. Is that right? Yes. Okay. Fantastic. So well, we later one big. I'm actually I am. We got accused of uh, primary sport bias there recently, but um, I'm actually looking really looking forward to seeing what they do with things like mm-hmm. midweek shows and highlights packages and extended build-ups. And that's no uh, disrespect to a lot of the good people that we know that worked on the BBC um, yeah. production, but just the, the amount of time that they're going to be afforded to, uh, to do it is going to be really interesting to see what what they do with it. And yeah, just to get back to the original question, I, th- I think uh, I think Tommy will be a very good presenter, and I'm very interested to hear um, how Trimby does because I think he's a bit uh, just a bit different, and he thinks about things in a different way, mm. and he's quite thoughtful in that way. Um, so I think he'll provide a lot with the analysis of the old mm-hmm. as well. Crab or pizza at halftime? I don't really. I don't crap. Really know what this is about. <coughs> is, um, is there a story behind this that I should know about? There are. There's, there's a crap fan. Yeah. Now, obviously, with your oh, with your Glen Avon roots, you'll just be like, "What do you mean? It's, it's, it's surely it's burger or chips." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the, I, I don't uh, understand the selection of the food stalls at King's. Park this is very upper middle class, isn't it? There's no doubt about that. Mike McGregor would be very proud. I don't know. At halftime, we have time to go in for a cup of tea, and there's usually either rugby shaped shortbread or rugby jersey shaped shortbread so that's our half time yeah I'm telling you we're going to have to get you to actually (laughs) that was very impressive yeah I really should get to you (laughs) Um, Steve McCormick then asks what steps should Ulster Rugby take to mend the relationship with fans and media 
I don't know. We were, I thought we were all good, man. It's a new season. <laughs> <laughs> no, like... Immediately then goes into a rant. What needs improvement? Wait, wait, I'll find your dog. I see the word exclusive on a ERTV piece again. No. Um, <laughs> the, I think it's an interesting view and, like, of the idea of do you also need to mend fences with the fans? Because traditionally, the only thing that mends fences with fans is winning games. Yeah. Um, like, we've seen it before where in various different sports teams don't have to be likeable if they're winning you only have to be likeable when you're losing and winning heals and covers all ills so like if the team go out and win the first 10 games of the season then the fans that are angry still from the repercussions of last year I think I might be wrong but just judging from things like season ticket sales which are fairly consistent of where they were expected to be after everything that went on last year I get the feeling that there maybe isn't this push away from Ulster rugby that it can sometimes seem like there is and if they go out and look good on the pitch next se- or this season then that's certainly not going to be the case um, there was some sort of high-profile instances last season of a team that was playing very well that wasn't getting on with their media and nobody cared because the team was winning. Um, yeah. So if you're looking at it from a media perspective, whether bridges are built with media, whether bridges need to be built with areas of the media um, is, again, something that only matters if they don't win because mm-hmm. nobody like nobody cares about the plights of journalists when the team's <laughs> successful. We learned that over the last yeah. twelve months. Like, um, if the team isn't successful and they feel like people need to build bridges, then all anybody wants is more access. Like, all you want is to talk to more players. Mm. Really, just a wee player on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and I suppose if the relationship between Ulster and the media is better, then you get better interviews because people mm. are more relaxed when they're doing it. But that's on journalists and Ulster because if there was a need to. Um, rebuild relationships and I think it's probably on both ends rather than it being Ulster need to do something or mm-hmm. journalists need to do something it's about all media relations with clubs at the minute is about meeting people halfway because we would want to speak to everybody every week whoever we want to and Ulster would or any team obviously is in a position where they're one trying to control that access and two trying to promote their own media streams now mm-hmm. And it is all about meeting in the middle and generating that so that at the end of the day we're all trying to do the same thing, we just talk about the rugby team. Yeah, and it's worth pointing out that like, there is this sort of tension now between sports teams' own media yeah. in general. This mm-hmm. isn't just an Ulster rugby thing. No, you know, not like no. Across every single sporting organisation at the moment now, there is, it's just getting into the future of digital media well, we all need to work clubs, out how to clubs like clubs like to have control and they like to put stuff out on their own terms because it means that they're in they are in control they know what's happening and they know what they're writing and they know what's uh, what's going to be seen by people and plus they want to be the place that people go to for news whereas yeah, we don't really understand that concept of wanting to be the place where people go to for news because surely well, it, doesn't, like, it doesn't matter if somebody reads something on the Ulster website and decides they want to go to a game 
compared to reading something in the Belfast Telegraph and deciding what they will There is, if you're also being yourself advertising on your website, though. Yeah. But I would have thought that getting people to go to games is more important, set, more lucrative than mm. um, advertising space on their websites. Like, I, I can understand it to an extent, but like at the end of the day, you've got two, what is essentially two free pages of advertising for you. Right? Well, this is it. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so there we go. But then, uh, again, we'll not, we'll not delve too far into this because n- like, nobody cares about No, it. no. Really <laughs> like, do people, not, people do not care about the no, stripes of journalists. No, absolutely We're just not. happy the question was asked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cheers to Stevie for considering <laughs> The blind side then uh, has been looking through the list of academy players and he says there's a couple of guys in there last year who haven't really featured yet, so what do we think their chances are of breaking into the first team then? Yeah, so... Of the last er, of the guys in the academy here in their final year, you've got Zach McCall, Aaron Hall, and Marcus Ray. Uh, that was rather nicely ramming there. Um, well done, guys. Good news. <laughs> of those three, only Aaron Hall has appeared in a competitive fixture for the senior team, and even then, it was just one game. So, I, I get the point. I think. Uh, I think Marcus Ray. The fact that he was involved in preseason suggests that maybe he could uh, go on and feature in the senior team. But there, there we're are so- people that really, really like Marcus. Yeah, but we're seeing we're definitely seeing a trend where if players don't sort of make a breakthrough into the senior team by the time they're in their second or sorry by the end of their second year in the academy, then it's not very likely that they're going to make it. Because so, you saw the guys who left at the end of last year, the likes of Rory Butler, uh, Peter Cooper, those guys, they didn't actually uh, make an impact in the senior team, and nor did it, nor did it seem like they were even uh, that close to. So, of the guys who are left, you don't see a way through for Zach McCall with Adam McBurney now being promoted to the senior squad. Um, the back row starting to become a position oh, where bless you, the, the back row starting to become a position where Ulster are getting a bit of depth. They can always use more, um, and they can always use guys pushing through. So you'd need to see Ray coming through and at least making some sort of appearances off the bench, and the same with Hall, and then eventually getting a start somewhere down the line. Um, but ultimately, it's it's going to take a lot from those two to make it as well I think if you're looking for guys who are going to make lasting impressions on the Ulster squad and graduate up into the senior squad you're looking at your second year and your first year guys because I, d- I don't see where any of those three are coming through especially McCall and that's that's just unfortunate because I, th- I think he's got a bit of potential in him but you know Adam McBurney is widely seen as the hooker of the future there's just too many hookers like, yeah um Ulster seemed to be able to churn them out at a rate of knots. Um, but, um, from... <laughs> <laughs> just from really, I, I managed to avoid that pretty well, but uh, you just went straight in, feet first. From, uh, from the amount of people that have mentioned um, Ray as a player that has potential, I think he'd be the most likely of the final year players to uh, still be making an impact next year. But it's, it's hard to see where they're going to get game time because you want to make the most of Katsia this year. Uh, Greg Jones has just been promoted to the senior squad. Um, you've still got Matty Ray who's injured at the moment but he's to come back. You've got Timoney still uh, making as big an impact as he has. Like, 
you don't see where the game time's coming for these guys to impress enough to push on. Very quickly then, Kyle McNeely, Jim's son, back from last year. Who would you sign just to see him play every week? Is that not like the point of any sign? <laughs> I think more, more in terms of who um, we would sign of to watch play rather yeah. than who would be signed for Ulster because last oh, for, week would be last actually week we effective. Said, uh, okay, yeah, right, locks okay. and loose heads. Okay, yeah, um, that's fair. I'm going to go for a lock anyway because he's so much fun to watch and it's Leonie Nakarawa. He's strong, he's fast, he can throw an offload whenever both his arms are tied behind his back. Um, he's just a brilliant player to watch. I would love to have him playing for Ulster. Just Perman's Nick Williams, really. <laughs> <laughs> can I have I, both I, of them? Yeah, I would have Nick Williams. He was great. I loved him. Bring, bring back Big Nick. Yeah. Um, ben Smith, maybe. Um, that might seem just a bit reactionary after the last couple of weeks of how good he's been for the All Blacks, but he's just such an intelligent player and does so many things that you would pick up on more if you were watching him live than um, on TV. Uh, maybe Sergio Parise here. I should have said Sergio Parise in the answer last week. I can't believe I didn't, but he's just, just a, a titan of a man. Um, <laughs> Whenever he's not sticking his shoulder into players' faces. That was the most ridiculous red card I've seen in quite some time um, if we had time I'd love to discuss that but we really don't Sergio Perez is one of the few players that like when you see him play and it's always for Italy and he's always looking rather despondent in the press room in the Aviva because he has to do the media as the captain you always sort of think to yourself this might be the last time I see him play um, and you don't really get that feeling with other players so maybe Perez but also Ben Smith again I'm not going to narrow it down because I don't know if I don't want to. So. No, and we don't have time, so let's keep going. <laughs> um, Kenny Gad asks, which position would be acceptable in the European pool, which we discussed a little bit earlier, but I suppose we didn't. Really uh, ex- acceptable? Second would be good. I think yeah. you could make an excuse for third, and fourth would be bad. Yeah, you yeah. really have for to avoid finishing bottom. That's There's, there's not too much analysis in there, but I think they no, should, but they should be better fair. than Leicester. Yeah, and they were in pot four, she reminds us. So. Well, that's true. Eamon J. Tully, who is your favourite ever Ulster player? Uh, a lot of nostalgia, I like. David Humphreys, probably, because. Ah, it's got a sense here. Like, whenever you were coming to watching rugby and you would have seen Ireland a lot more than Ulster, certainly for me anyway, I saw Ireland was just far more visible to me just from watching Five Nations games. and. Like Keith Wood would have been my favourite player, but you were always aware of the fact that Humphreys was the one from here. Most of the time it felt like he was the most consistent. Um, or just Stephen Ferris, because seeing him in his pomp, I think he's probably the best. Um, I'm a Pienaar, I suppose, probably the best players that um, people of our age would have seen play for Ulster. I, I was going to say Humphreys as well, and then one of my other ones was Pinar. Um, Pinar was just, he was so classy, you know, he's always one step ahead of the play. Um, and I, I don't really need to tell anyone that. Maybe we've watched him enough times, he was uh, class personified. Uh, we mentioned Nick Williams earlier. Um, great guy, both on and off the pitch. Um, okay. Yeah. That's about it. Mine is a member of the 1948 Grand Slam winning team, Arthur Albert McConnell, because he is my wife's grander. So that's you can't argue with that. <laughs> so there you go. Okay. That's right. That's right, folks. That's uh, 
We've known each other for a long time for this to be when this bombshell's dropped. Yeah. Uh, yeah do you know that? No, you've never once mentioned that. Have no. I not? No. Oh, sorry about that. Yeah, they have I mean, a thing up in his house with like his cap and like little photos and stuff, and it's really cool. That should have been your opening gambit in the very first yeah. podcast. You should and have then like, I have I'm, sort of I'm like, the host, <laughs> the grandson-in-law yeah. of a member of the 1948 Ulster oh. Grand Slam winning team. Next time, anytime anyone questions your rugby pedigree, <laughs> yeah, just throw that in there. <laughs> yeah, well, look, I just don't like to blow about these things. Um, and it's really no achievement of mine. I mean, that's not why I married her. <laughs> uh, There's a load of reasons why I married her. Anyway, Eamon J. Sorry, sorry, Emma doesn't listen. <laughs> uh, we've already asked him. Mark Smith, we told you it was coming. Here you are, Mark. You're a big moment in this sunlight. Enjoy it. Which club player was the best never to play for Ulster? I have no family members I can throw into this one. <laughs> um, best player that never played for Ulster in the club game. Um, I think like, we had a variation of this question last season, which was who's the best player in the club game not connected to Ulster. And mm. we said Ian Porter. He, I don't think he's playing this year. He is not. Had also played for uh, for Ulster before. Yeah. Um, whenever I was covering the club game regularly, like the biggest sort of disparity in... Uh, talent from the people around him. I always thought it was Stuart Lamb. He played for a number of clubs, probably most memorably Balne Hinch, sort of 2008, 2009 time, like, then went on to play junior rugby with Porta Down. Um, I think, but I'm not 100% sure that he was connected with Newcastle at one stage. But never played with uh, Ulster, but he certainly looked like somebody who uh, could have had the talent to make a go of it. Um, yeah, I'll go with that. That's just um, somebody that I would have seen when I was covering the game. Fair. I know he was in the Ulster Academy. I don't think he ever played for the senior team. John Donnan at Locke, did he ever play for the No, he never made it. Senior so, team. Yeah. He's always impressed me at club level. Um, yeah. But... His dad was my geography teacher, and um, so we have connections all over the place here. World. It's great. And um, my first Ireland game was a um, school trip that uh, that he took me on. Yeah, that's lovely. And all the teachers, as you stop for the sort of Bath Avenue security exit, were shuffling cans around their big pockets, t- trying to get them past security, and it was an eye-opening experience. Cans of what? I cook. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so there we are. Good. Um, I probably somebody from Banbridge, I would guess. I'd imagine. Um, Adam, Adam Doherty at fullback for Banbridge was someone I thought of. Yeah, so as let's well. pretend I said that. Uh, Dave Kenning, then our final listener question of the week, said, "Connet have an air of positivity around them with the arrival of friend." Well, everybody should be positive when they get a friend. Why is it different at Ulster? Different expectations. Um, this That's is this is a really interesting question because. During the summer, whenever, or before Dan McFarland had arrived, and then Andy Friend is someone who was obviously linked with the Ulster job as well, and you saw him come in to Connacht, he's obviously somebody that uh, David Nussfor knows really well, but he came into Connacht and it was like, within about 30 seconds, it felt like he had a Galway accent. Like, he was on Twitter, I think he, uh, on his flight over, he tweeted out a picture of... um, 
him reading Jerry Thornley's book about the um, title winning team and then he was all around Connacht sightseeing he was at uh, hurling games um, and he just seemed to buy into everything so quickly and it really I don't think that it was um, cynical I don't think that it was planned in any way I think it was just somebody who travels has travelled around so much that when he goes somewhere he tries to assimilate as quickly as he can to the culture and that seemed to really like Connacht fans really took that to heart and then you have the comparison with Ulster he didn't have their head coaching so Andy Ferenc seemed like he was doing such good work and making such an effort to ingratiate himself to the local people and then Dan McFarland I think it just I think it really highlighted the absence of Don McFarland um, that Andy Friend was so visible if that makes sense and I think that has a lot to do with it as Adam says there are different expectations um, Connacht won't have to be very good this year to have a better year than they had last year um, they've made some good signings um, John Muldoon will be hard to replace obviously just the leadership that he brought but they made some good signings like um, Sandra they got from the Brumbies has looked really good in pre-season the pre-season Kyle Godwin, Kyle Godwin their pre-season results have been good they've mm-hmm. won games which is something the other Irish provinces have been struggling today in pre-season <laughs> so when you add that all together I think that's it but I, I do honestly think that Andy Friend um, being so visible when Ulster's head coach had yet to arrive um, just made it really highlighted the fact that Dan McFarland wasn't in yet so it might be something that is redressed over the next couple of weeks whenever we see um, Dan McFarland really get his teeth into being here because by all accounts he's somebody that does very similarly whenever he arrives in a new place ironically enough those are reports coming from his own time in Connacht well we didn't have a club roundup last week when we should have but say what you want about us we learn from our mistakes and we do have uh, the latest from the clubs this week with Adam. Yeah, the Sony Ulster Premiership is back. Uh, the first round of fixtures got underway last week. Uh, in Division 1, Balna Hinch beat defending champion City of Armagh 24 points to 7. Malone and Bambridge, that's where I was, they played out a rather exciting 18 all draw. Uh, and Queen's beat Ballymena 33-26. And in Division 2, Belfast Harlequins beat Dungannon 24-12. City of Derry beat Bangor 24-21. And Rainy Old Boys won away at Omaakis 22-14. The things that really sort of jump off the page there are obviously Balmhage beating Armagh. Mm-hmm. Um, the reigning champions with, by all accounts, a team that was ravaged by injury and obviously the unavailability of um, their Ulster players and City of Derry getting a win like I know it's early in the season I know <laughs> that it's senior, senior league but the struggles that they had last year to be able to yeah. start this season with a victory yeah. is, is a big thing especially against a team as good as Bangor I know you can take that a long way um, I was down at Gibson Park seeing Malone versus Bambridge it's for the first sort of half an hour it was very obvious it's still sort of pre-season for these guys but like it, I put a tweet out about it it's, it's great to be back with club rugby you know it's great to see these guys uh, back on the pitch and I mean it's really good to see that Malone are going to be competitive this year because you always worry about teams uh, making a jump up at division mm. um, but they were 
blow for blow right there with Banbridge, who were one of the standout teams in 1B last year. So it, it'll be great to see all the different Ulster derbies this year. Um, I 1B think. is essentially just going to be an Ulster derby every week. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes, yeah. I mean, that, that, that's a good thing. The, the odds are very much in our favour that there will be at least one Ulster team at home yeah. per and, week. Uh, <laughs> just Ulster Academy fixture at Gibson Park yes. Friday night, 6 o'clock. Just a Indeed. Good plug. Just to throw that in there. Yeah, absolutely. Just right. We'll be there. I definitely won't. How, how are you spending your Friday night? Not there. Not there. Not there. Yes, we'll, we'll both be there. Enjoy yourselves. Um, uh, we've, we've nothing more to say. And you need to go and talk to Mr. Dan McFarland. So enjoy doing that, Jonathan Bradley. Thanks very much. Adam McHenry. Cheers, guys. And myself, Gareth Anna. Thanks for listening.